Amen. Please remain standing if you're able, and let's turn to our scripture reading in Genesis 29, page 23 in the Pew Bible. begin our reading at verse 15 just to recap a little bit. I'm not, I won't read the entire chapter. This is the account of Jacob uh, meeting the family of Rachel coming and uh, meeting Laban beginning in verse 15. Then Laban said to Jacob, because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah. The name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Jacob loved Rachel. And he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than that I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel. And they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife, that I may go into her, for my time is completed. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob. And he went into her. Laban gave his female servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her servant. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, What is this you have done to me? Did I not serve with you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? Laban said, It is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one, and we will give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. Jacob did so and completed her week. Then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his female servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel to be her servant. So Jacob went in to Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah and served Laban for another seven years. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son. And she called his name Reuben. For she said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. She conceived again and bore a son and said, because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. 
And she conceived and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will be attached to me, because I have borne him three sons. Therefore his name was called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah. Then she ceased bearing. Amen. Here ends the reading of God's holy word. May he bless it to our hearing. You may be seated. We heard those last words at the end of our passage last Sunday. Jacob served Laban for seven years, but it seemed like only a few days to him because of the love he had for Rachel. Jacob had agreed enthusiastically to work those seven years to gain Rachel's hand in marriage. Now, as we said last week, Jacob could have done something very different. Uh, He could have uh, appealed to Laban the same way Abraham's servant had appealed to Laban and his father so many years earlier for Rebekah. He appealed to them on the basis of God's promises to Abraham, which were then passed down to Isaac. And now they've been passed down to Jacob. Jacob could have appealed in the same way, by faith, to Laban for him to give Rachel to him as his wife. There was no need for him to 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 be wheeling and dealing and haggling and scheming and talking about uh, entering into this, um, basically a a slave relationship with Laban for seven years. But that's what he did because he was still in the mode of trying to make things happen for himself. He was still in that um, mindset of not trusting the Lord but trying to figure it out on his own. And so he wheels and he deals with Laban. He's not trusting the Lord to provide for him, even the way Abraham's servant had done. That man had walked by faith. That man was trusting in God very prayerfully, very boldly. He asked for what he had come there for, the hand of Rebekah. But Jacob Not so much. He's walking in fleshly wisdom, not walking by faith. And he ends up serving basically as a slave, seven years of hard labor. And yet this was all part of God's sovereign plan to form and mold this man and to make him into what the Lord wanted him to be. Seven years, wow, that's a long time, isn't it? It takes time to grow. It takes time for sinners to change. Horatius Bonar said, God's trees grow slowly. And that's what he was talking about. Christians grow slowly. Sanctification is a slow, lifelong process. We wish we could uh, just flip a switch and have it be done, but it doesn't work that way. And God uses 
tests and trials and sufferings uh, that sometimes last a long time to do that work in our lives. He draws us to himself, often in that way, through sufferings, and he changes us in that way, through sufferings and trials. He forms godly, Christ-like character in us, so often in that very way, through the school of hard knocks, you might say. And that's what we see with Jacob uh, in the coming chapters. And this is God's love in action. God loved Jacob too much to let him stay the way he was. And that's why God was doing uh, some unpleasant work in Jacob's life. The unpleasant work of chastening and forming him through trials, through difficulties. And of course, he does that with all his people whom he loves. And it's a good thing he does. We need that work to be done in us. And it's good for us to know that he's doing that. Our trials are not in vain. They're not just uh, bare, um, horrible difficulties that we uh, should wish to get over with. The Lord is working through those things beautifully to do a beautiful work in us. As we see Jacob arriving in Haran, um, you have to see that God has been very good to him. He's been very gracious to this man in bringing him uh, all the way uh, to the end of his journey here. Jacob had done some very bad things. He wasn't a good person. Yet God has protected him. He's provided for him all along that long journey. He's guided him wonderfully to just the right place, at just the right time, to meet just the right woman. Along the way, he gave Jacob that dream, uh, that dream with the great covenant promises of God that were given to Abraham, and then they were reaffirmed by God to him. And yes, then God appoints this beautiful young woman to be his bride. When you look at those things, you just see untold goodness from God to this man. It's almost as if God's being too good to Jacob. And he is. He's being too good to this sinful man. And I hope you look at your life and see it that way. God is really too good to all of us. We don't deserve any of it. We deserve just the opposite. And he lavishes goodness upon us. And looking at Jacob here and seeing that, you might also wonder, man, is this guy ever going to get some consequences for what his sins deserve? He's been pretty lousy. He's been doing a lot of uh, nasty things, deceitful dealing with his father and with his brother. I mean, he's sinned in, in terrible, destructive ways. Relationships are being ruined by this man's actions. Is God just going to look the other way? Is God just going to uh, sweep those things under the rug and keep blessing him? Well, in a sense, yes. God is a forgiving and gracious God.
God. And he is going to forgive this man and pour his grace upon him and continue blessing him. I hope you see the beauty of that. It's not fair. It's not what he deserves, but it's beautiful. It's the beauty of God's grace. And what's beautiful is that God treats all his covenant people in that way far better than we deserve. He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve, but he treats us according to the riches of his grace. But as we said already in last week as well, God's grace and his blessing also go together with chastening, discipline at times. And Jacob is going to experience those things. He is going to experience the consequences of his actions. And we see some of that in this chapter. God is going to bless Jacob in wonderful ways, but he's going to bless him in this way as well, by sanctifying him through unpleasant consequences in order to transform him. And that brings us here to Laban. Laban is going to play a role in that. Laban is going to be um, a tool in God's hands to work with Jacob. But he's he's just the instrument, really. It's the Lord who's doing that work. And I I have to think that Jacob begins to realize that uh, throughout this whole process. Instead of just being furious at Laban, I think he's beginning to recognize that it's the Lord who's in control and working these things. The Lord is the one who deals with us in this way. The Lord is the one who disciplines his beloved children. He's a good father who disciplines us just perfectly, just as we need. And he's very gracious in doing that. Think about David. You remember David's sin with Bathsheba. David had to live with the consequences of that, even though the Lord forgave his sin. Psalm 51 is a beautiful account of that and how David... Um, turned to the Lord for the forgiveness of his sins, and yet he had to live with the consequences for his whole life. Jacob, too, is going to have to live with consequences. And they're going to live on even after he dies because they're going to affect future generations, this man's actions. That's something we need to think about. We take our sins far too lightly. We can think that Our sins really won't um, have consequences in our lives. And if they do, well, it'll just be in our lives. But we shouldn't think that way. Our sins can have very far-reaching consequences. They won't just impact you. They can impact your family. They can impact your children, your marriage, future generations. There's no way of knowing the far-reaching impact of the sins that we commit. Remember that when you're tempted to sin. Sin is no light matter. The consequences can be devastating. 
Well, those seven years flew by like nothing for Jacob, as the the text says. But then it was time uh, for him to claim his bride. So he went to Laban and did so. Laban, through a great wedding feast, invited uh, everybody. There was a great time of celebration, eating and drinking, singing and dancing that probably would have lasted Uh, well into the night. And then the veiled bride would be given to her husband. And that's exactly what happened. The bride uh, was brought to the husband, and then they would depart to his tent where the marriage was consummated. But it's hard to imagine what happened in this case. Now, it was very dark out there in the desert, so you probably couldn't see very well. Jacob probably didn't see very well at all, and his bride was veiled, and there was probably some drinking of wine that probably wasn't just grape juice. But at any rate, the next morning, when he woke up, he was shocked. He didn't know that it was Leah that he was with that night. He took one look at her. The text says it was Leah. Laban had made the switch and deceived him, and Leah went along with it. And who knows what they did with Rachel? Imagine this. They probably had Rachel just going along during the whole time of celebration Uh, She's having a great time, and at the last minute, she must have been hustled away and hidden somewhere, locked up. And then Leah was brought to Jacob. She must have been crushed, thinking all that time it was her wedding day. And then suddenly, her sister is given to the man she loved. She must have been furious at her father. And how angry Jacob must have been. He was longing for his bride, for Rachel. Looking over next to him, he expected to see her lovely face when he opened his eyes. But it was Leah. One writer says, This was as ugly as a soap opera. It does have that feel to it, doesn't it? But it was real, and it was permanent. This marriage was binding. Leah really was his wife now. Can't imagine how he must have felt. He must have been so angry, so upset. He must have been enraged. Now, she apparently loved him, but the feeling was not mutual. He must have been just downcast and furious to see her face that morning. And he wasn't just angry about Leah. He was angry about being deceived. He was probably hurt. He was probably embarrassed. Just very upset. And he knew he was going to have to live with this the rest of his life. He was going to have to live with Leah as his wife. But God had ordained this so that Jacob can learn 
and grow. He'd ordained this so that Jacob would learn to hate his own sin. Actually, what's happening here is Jacob is getting a taste of his own medicine. Can you see that? Now, God is often very, very merciful with us, and he spares us from the the full brunt of what our sins deserve. But because he loves us, he doesn't always bail us out and spare us from the consequences of our actions. He doesn't always uh, lift us up out of the, the trouble that our sin leads us into. And that's a good thing that he doesn't. That's actually good parenting by God. He doesn't let us just keep going and sin and never learning, keep causing pain, keep damaging ourselves and others. Sin is harmful. Sin is destructive. It puts us in slavery and it wrecks relationships and lives. And so God is actually showing mercy and love and grace when he makes us face the consequences of our actions. And it's interesting uh, how that plays out in this passage, how here Jacob's consequences are so appropriate, so fitting for this man. He is the deceiver, but now he's become the deceived. You see the irony of this. But God's working here. And he's using all this in a beautiful way to make a godly man out of this deceiver. I think he's using just the right tool to work on his heart. The deceiver is deceived. There's something else to think about here. According to God's promise, you remember he had said, the older will serve the younger. And what that meant was that Jacob was to be served by Esau. But here, that's not what's happening. God knew that Jacob needed to learn to be a servant at this point in his life. That's what he needed. He needed character formation. He needed to be transformed into something different. He needed to experience many years of serving this dishonest, unfair man. Of course, Jacob didn't want that. He must have been very unhappy about it. We get a little sense of that. And it's pretty obvious that that would be not something desirable. We wouldn't choose to do that. He certainly didn't choose uh, to, to do that in, in, this, in this way, where he was deceived and had to do uh, another seven years. You think about that. We wouldn't choose the things that God brings into our lives either. Would we? The tough things, the chastenings, the troubles, the trials. 
those things that James tells us to count, count it all joy. We wouldn't pick those things. We wouldn't sign up for that. You'd prefer things to be different. But remember, God knows better than you do what you need. He is perfectly wise and good in accomplishing his good purposes in us. And so he does that work in Jacob here. But Jacob goes to Laban and confronts him about this. He's upset. And he goes straight to the one who deceived him. He says, what have you done to me? Didn't I serve you for Rachel? Why have you deceived me? I kind of wonder if those words, when they left his mouth, I wonder if he realized what he was saying and what he himself had done so many years earlier. Why have you deceived me? Imagine that's exactly how Esau responded. And Isaac, when Jacob treated them so badly, if he didn't realize, if Jacob didn't realize in this very moment how fitting this was, it surely dawned on him later. And I did that. I was the deceiver. I did that to Esau. I did that to my own father. Jacob is learning what it's like to be sinned against. He had had no regard for Esau and really no regard for his own father. But now he's on the receiving end. And he doesn't like it. And the irony continues here with Laban's answer. Laban replied to Jacob. And he just says it in a straightforward way. It is not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. You see what Laban's saying here? This is a, this is a rebuke for Jacob that, that goes deeper than just what Laban uh, is stating about that particular incident. Think back. Jacob had no regard for the rights of the firstborn in his own family. He took matters into his own hands and he usurped the rights of Esau. And he usurped his own father who intended to bless the firstborn even though he was doing so wrongly against the Lord's will. But Laban says, we don't work that way here. We don't marry off the younger daughter before the older daughter, before the firstborn. That's interesting. Jacob had not honored his firstborn brother, but now he's having to learn to honor the firstborn sister, Leah. Now, again, this doesn't make Laban's actions right. Laban's deceit was terrible. It was wicked. 
And yet God uses Laban's sin here to teach Jacob a lesson. He's teaching him to hate his own sin, his own deceitfulness. Think about it. Jacob had pulled the wool over. um, He had had the wool pulled over his eyes here just the way he had done earlier. And here's another thing. He had disguised himself. And now he was deceived by another disguised person, Leah. The irony is very thick in this passage. It's really beautiful. But that's not all. Laban said, you want Rachel? You've got to serve me seven more years. And I think it's very interesting that Jacob at least it's not recorded that he he had anything to say about that. He just was silent. I wonder why. Maybe the Lord was working on him right there in those moments. Maybe he was realizing uh, his sin. Maybe he didn't complain because he was seeing or beginning to see himself in Laban's deception. Maybe he realized he actually had this coming and it was very fitting for him to experience these consequences of his actions. In any case, we read in verses 28 to 30, Jacob did so. He accepted these terms of Laban and he completed her week. Then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. So Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah, and served Laban for another seven years. Now think about what Jacob has at the end of all this. He got the wife he wanted, but what a mess it is. What a dysfunctional situation this must have been. Now he has two wives. If that wasn't bad enough, these are two sisters. And add to that the fact that one is loved deeply, the other is not loved at all. And the, it gets worse. The unloved one has all the children, while Rachel, the loved one, has none. It was a home filled with contention, jealousy, competition, complaining. Those two bickering sisters must have reminded Jacob of the strife that his own sin had created between Esau and himself. But again, this is all part of God's plan to work on Jacob, to form his character. God is keeping his promise to bless Jacob. He's blessing him in this way. This is not what he expected. This is not how he expected God's blessings to come to him through these troubles and through that strife in his home. And in the closing verses of the chapter, we see more uh, of how God's grace and blessing flowed to this man's life. Even as God was using these circumstances to chasten, to discipline Jacob, 
He is bringing his promises to pass. Again, it's a very dysfunctional family, but look, 12 sons and one daughter would be born to them. The 12 tribes of Israel. God is building his church, in other words, through all this messiness. Isn't that interesting? That sounds exactly like the church in every age, all through history, and even down to this very day. And it will be that way until the end of time. And what a testimony that is to God's grace. He builds his church beautifully despite the sin of his people. But Leah and her children are the focus here at the end of this chapter. And it's very interesting, I think, here. Leah seems to have grown to become a spiritually-minded woman. And how do we gather that? Well, her children's names all refer to the Lord. And all the names seem to flow from her heartache, her trial, her suffering, her suffering of loving this man who did not love her. But she didn't just sit and wallow in misery because of that. She looked to the Lord. She's apparently calling on him. She's asking him to change things. And though it seems things didn't change the way she wanted, it looks as if the Lord changed her. You look at the names and you begin to see that. And you wonder, was she a spiritually minded person before all this heartache, before entering into this marriage with this man? Or was it the trial? Was it that suffering and heartbreak of not being loved that drew her to the Lord and made her grow spiritually? Well, the latter seems to be the case. And of course, that's just exactly how the Lord works. He uses our trials, He uses our heartaches to bless us and to grow us and to change us by His grace. And notice that, that all these people in this passage really had some serious heartache to wrestle with. All of them do. Jacob, Leah, Rachel, even Laban. They all have sufferings to go through. Laban himself is going to have consequences to his actions later. God is good to take trials like this and bring them into our lives and troubles and to sanctify them in our lives to form us and to change us and to lead us to himself 
the things that we think are bad in our lives, the things that we think are the absolute worst, those things that we're probably praying for the Lord to take away, thorns in the flesh, whatever you may want to call it, those very things turn out to be God's goodness at work in our lives for our benefit and for the benefit of others. He does these things so that we can be blessed and so that we can be a blessing to others. It's God loving his children. And he's still doing this today. He's blessing his people, molding our character, building his church in this way. Let's recognize that in all our tests and trials and sufferings. They're actually gifts, gifts of God's grace toward us so that we can grow, so that we can come to know him and love him. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for the way you work in our lives. We thank you for not letting us go on in our sin. We pray that you would not let that be the case for any who are here. We pray that you would indeed love us so much that you will not let us go in that way. We pray that you would give us humble, teachable hearts formed by your word and even formed by the ways that you're disciplining us, chastening us, correcting us, teaching us. Thank you for being faithful and good and loving to do that unpleasant work in our lives that we need so much. Help us to see your love and grace in those hard things that we uh, face in life. Above all, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, who died under your wrath that we deserved so that you could act in such gracious and loving ways toward us. Thank you for the Savior. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you.